Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast with your host, Evan McElwain. Welcome back to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. I'm Evan McElwain, Bowery Capital's Director of Growth. And this week, we are joined by Grant McDougall, founder and CEO of Blue Ocean, to talk about how to do a brand audit. Great to have you on the show, Grant. Great to be here, Evan. Thanks for making time for me. For sure. Thanks for joining us. So, Grant, tell us more about you, your background, and your current company, Blue Ocean. Awesome. Thanks for the opportunity. You know, clearly I'm Australian. And so, you know, for the last 20 years, I've been absolutely working in marketing and advertising. And, you know, we I started my career in Australia working with people like Toyota and Qantas and building websites back in 1996. And, you know, that led me to have this fascination with, you know, technology and creative and the experiences that you can create. You know, we, we went from there to a, a company called Motor Media that was, you know, here in the US. That was the first you know, company to create a banner ad back in the day. You know, the name was Modem Media, so it kind of gives you the the earliness of being in digital. And then I went from there into places like Digitas and into the big holding companies, Publicis, WPP, and it really was focused on building competitive advantage for B two B companies. And so, you know, my my clients over the years have been people like Hewlett Packard and Apple and Samsung and Intel and. I've been, you know, really, really interested in how do you create experiences for for B two B companies that you know really want to be like consumer companies. Blue Ocean came out of twenty years. You know, we saw I saw a fundamental shift in the market. You know, we had management consulting companies that were buying agencies, and they they were all you know really trying to get market share and create space. But really, what was driving that was you know, we had data and we had freedom of information. And that fundamentally was changing the relationship between marketers, their brands, their ability to measure them. It was just really, really ripe for change. And so about six years ago, I started to think about how can I bring software defined principles to to marketing and advertising? We spend $560 billion a year on advertising globally. And I was sitting there, I was like, well, you know, 50% of that's unmeasured, unmanaged. CFOs have a hard time really, you know, getting behind brand because of that. And I, I knew that had to change because I think the one thing that companies have is how they respond to customers, how they respond through the experiences that they create and the the content that they fundamentally wanted to wanted to build. And so we started Blue Ocean. We we recognized that we wanted to really democratize the approach. Uh, we wanted to go after the 34 million companies under enterprise, and we wanted to give them all the ability to compete. And the only way you could compete was to have access to data, you know, be able to do that at the speed of digital. And that was the only way we, brand was going to become more and more important. And so we've seen that. That was our journey. We've been working with people like Microsoft across all of their corporate brands, initiatives, helping them with COVID. We work yeah, with a lot of B2B companies, everyone from Juniper to Cisco to in, all in the tech space. And so we have a, a pretty you know, strong appreciation for that. But that's the, that's the, short, the short answer to how <laughs> we got great. here. 
No, that's awesome. I really, I really appreciated that, that context and um, even more excited, right. To, to dive into that, especially just given your breadth of experience, not just with technology, there's software and hardware, but then also just with other, with, with other types of companies where the, the same brand principles and marketing principles transcend industry. So excited to dig in. But before we do, one question that we always like to ask our guests is what is one thing, Grant, that no one listening to this podcast will know about you? I, I love to jump out of planes. Wow. You know? So I did a lot of skydiving. I, I love acceleration and that's why I'm in advertising and that's why I've ultimately ended up in startups because, you know, there's, there's real excitement about, you know, that process. And are you doing the solo dives? Are you doing tandem dives or what, what's, what's the deal? When people aren't pushing me out of planes, I do it myself, <laughs> but I haven't jumped since I've I had a young, young child and you know, that kind of yeah. reigns that in. Yeah, for sure. Well, Grant, let's, let's dig into it. So first things first, I always like to cover some of the basics. So what are we even talking about when we say brand audit? What does that actually mean? Why is that important? Help us unpack that. Yeah. So I think it's it's important to understand two principles. One is what is a brand and then why would you audit it? So, you know, when you think about a brand, a brand is a, a product, uh, a company or a person, and it, it, it has some characteristics around it. So, you know, it writes for itself, it's written about, and it exists in the minds of a consumer or in B2B around a customer. So that's that's a defining principle for what a brand is. An audit really is an understanding of all the touch points. So, you know, the the marketing websites you're producing, your advertising, you know, the growth content that you have, your SEO strategy, how are people, you know, ultimately thinking about your brand and how does it exist in the world? Brand audits have been around for a long, long time. And, you know, traditionally they've been incredibly analog in their approach. And, you know, we live in a, a really digital world, right? We compete against algorithms. So, you know, why would you, why would you apply, you know, you know, sort of tools from the past to compete in the world of the future? And so we've been, we really think that brand audits are about understanding your moment in time relative to your competitors across all of the dimensions that make up your brand and those things that make up your brand, how are you performing financially? You know, so if you're a startup, it's all about, you know, your core metrics and, you know, your CAC and, you know, all of those elements. If you're an enterprise, it, it gets slightly more complicated, right? It's about, you know, you know, my media spend and my marketing investment. It's about what are people saying about me? What are analysts talking about? And then ultimately, how is that manifesting itself relative to my competitors in market position and ultimately satisfaction with employees and with, with customers? And so we've taken that model and we've broken it down into data. So we, you can understand an overall score. We call it the blue score. It's between 50 and 200. It's a blunt measure to understand relative performance. Some other people would call that brand equity. We, we call it the blue score because it's defined by data. And then we just break it down. We look at, you know, where are the opportunities um, for the brand? You know, is it a familiarity issue? Is that how well you're known? Is it a product uh, positioning issue? You know, are you different and memorable relative to your competitors? Is it a market share problem? Is it a consistency issue? Consistency is a big one when you're, when you're starting out. And then ultimately, you know, do you have the right sentiment relative to your competitors? And you know, if you think about where we've been, you know, everyone's been fascinated with first-party data, but it doesn't matter. In relation to marketing, that doesn't really matter. It's what you put out into the world and how it's received relative to your competitors that ultimately creates 
competitive advantage. So one piece you mentioned there that I want to ask you about is is first party data. Can you expand on that? Would love to hear more and and kind of how that fits into the broader equation. Yeah, totally. And thanks for doing that. You know, so when I think about first party data, I'm talking about, you know, it could be your sales data, it could be the, you know, basically the traffic that you're driving on your website, it could be, you know, any of the factors that we're tracking as marketers around a, a customer, a customer sale. Often marketers have that information. They really they, they know it, right? But what they strive to to really understand is how am I performing relative to my competitors? And then how is that impacting my customers? And so we've been focused on building a model that does that. And you know, I I would suggest that you have to have first party data to be successful. We live in a data world, but you've also got to have an, an outside in perspective. And the outside in perspective is what gives you the 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 fuel to decide am i doing the right things right. am i creating the necessary space yeah that makes a lot of sense so first party data it's important but you need context around it to actually know what it's telling you to help inform direction and what you should do next correct so we've talked a little bit about what a brand audit is why is it important the next question i'd have is is who is this relevant for is there a specific you know time in a company's life cycle where they need to really start thinking more critically around whether we should do a brand audit or not. Is it relevant for everybody? And how, how do you all think about it? Yeah, we've we've seen, you know, three three big areas, right? So, you know, when you're starting out a company, so if you're a startup and you're you're looking at, you know, competitors, you know, you want to do a competitive brand audit to understand who's performing well, is there space, what's the white space in the category? And so, you know, it's essential when you're you're actually starting your journey to think about you know, who's doing it well? Is there someone that's doing it well? What can I learn? So we we think brand is you know ultimately pretty important when you're starting out because it's about the experience you want to manufacture. And so you know that's going to help you in fundraising. That's going to help you win your first clients. It's going to help you you know ultimately manufacture something that's consistent. And that's that's critical. That's critical for success in the long term. If you're a, a larger enterprise. You're going to be fascinated by this, right? Because what you're going to be doing is you're going to have, you know, I'm building a product, I'm marketing the product, you know, I'm driving media investment. I could be spending, you know, $100 million on media. And ultimately, I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. Should I be investing in advertising? Should I be doing changing my messaging to create space in the marketplace? And then ultimately, is that yielding the results that I want, both from a revenue perspective and a customer satisfaction? And then, you know, as your your business scales, so if you get up to Microsoft trillion dollar sort of category, you've got this proliferation of brands that exist underneath you. And so what you're trying to do is work out, you know, what's the master brand? What, how do my products relate to it? You know, how do we score relative to the com- competition? And then how do we actually make smart portfolio investment decisions relative to that portfolio of brands that we have? And so branding is an essential skill and discipline. It's often an afterthought. You know, people think about brands as logos and messages. Brands are the experience that you create with customers and the you know, perception that you leave in the minds of, of consumers. So why would you leave that to the end? Yeah, and no, I love that. And it seems like that is, when I talk to marketing experts, brand experts, that does seem to be a common theme that they promote is, look, people don't recognize how much the experience goes into this. I remember this quote from Mary Beth Shepard. She's the SVP of marketing at Seven Rooms. She was part of our marketing summit. And one of the things that tidbit that she shared was, you know, when you think about a brand, think about the hold music when you're waiting on hold when calling customer support. 
well, how does that make you feel? What, you know, what, what is that experience like? And I, I just love that anecdote. Obviously it's not going to be re- exactly relevant to every single startup, but I thought, I thought the message really got across well. So clearly Grant, the goal of the brand audit and the different areas that you're really probing and poking into are going to vary depending on company size. It sounds like, especially as you scale, you get to that Microsoft level, it becomes a whole nother beast as you get this sort of brand hierarchy. Let's start by, as we want to kind of unpack this further, let's start by maybe outlining what the end goal of a brand audit looks like and work backwards. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's super interesting. I, I think a well-executed brand audit gives you a, a complete understanding of the category and the market, which you operate within good starting points that are, that are factual and evidence-based and an understanding of the priorities of activities that you're going to run relative to growth. And, you know, so if you, you start there as a, as a, a starting work sort of assumption, it gets, it gets really, really important because then what it allows you to do is say, I'm a startup, I'm a young startup, I've got limited resources. What's important? Should I be focused on customer success? Should I be focused on you know, managing my investors? Should I be focused on you know, driving my first 1,000 companies and customers? Or should I be you know, spending money on marketing and advertising? Probably not. You know, the ultimately a, a good audit will give you real confidence in when to act. Traditionally, this has been a really slow process, right? So, you know, you go to Innerbrand or an Accenture or a McKinsey, and they'll come back to you in 12 months and they'll give you two reports. They'll be review mirror. And ultimately you won't they won't give you the why. It's not the why, it's the you know, kind of survey-based approach. We think that, you know. The, a really well-executed strategy needs to be one based on data that's in the wild and is observed. And so, you know, for, for startups, that's really, really important because they traditionally wouldn't be able to access, you know, going buying $300,000 worth of Nielsen data or going and buying a million dollars of panel survey data. You know, you need to have other ways of, of actually getting to the answer. And so if you've got three things that are in a, a great brand audit, you need to understand the customer. You know, what are they saying? What are expert reviews saying? You need to understand the experiencing your manufacturing through the, the content, the creative, the customer uh, service channels. And then ultimately you need to couple that with a deep understanding of, is that actually driving performance you know, financially? And if you can do those three things, you, you get a pretty good picture of your business. And how I think about it, brand's a strategy, right? Brand is an active strategy. You know, it's intentional. You know, it's a long-term plan for you to actually grow and succeed. So, you know, if you've got a good plan, you've got a good brand audit, you've got a pretty good understanding of where to go and where to start. Great. Yeah, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. So, Grant, I'd love to get now into more of the how. You know, how does a person or a company actually go about doing a brand audit? You know, it sounds like there have been some legacy solutions like hiring a consultant for a, a multi-month engagement. But curious if if you were to kind of break it down and if somebody wanted to take a stab at this, maybe even take a stab at themselves, what do those steps look like? Maybe we can do sort of broad strokes overview of the steps involved and then we can dive deeper into each step. Cool. Yeah, totally. That, I think that makes, makes a ton of sense. So anyone can do a brand audit. So let's let's start there. So you know, if you're a young startup or you're you're trying to understand a market, there's there's many ways to do it. The first is let's use people. And so what what you'll tend to do is you'll go out, um, you'll amass an understanding of you know, what's being produced. So you look at your competitors, you'll create a list, 
you'll look at, you know, what are they actually ma like manufacturing? And so you'll look at their product, you'll look at the, maybe they've done some advertising, you'll look at their website, um, you'll go out and look at reviews, both from their customers. They could be, if in B2B, it could be on Captera, it could be on G2, you know, bringing those, those reviews together. It could be in Gartner and using magic quadrants. And then you'll, you'll couple that with your own analysis, your financial analysis. So you'll go out and say, how big's the market? If you're a startup, you're probably fascinated by Tam and Sam and all of that good stuff. You've got a pretty good understanding of the economics of your own industry. And then you bring that together in probably you'll sit down with your leadership group and you'll decide that you probably need to do some surveying as well. You, you want to actually have voice of the customer in the middle of that. So you would run something with any one of the survey platforms and you basically feed that back in. That process is pretty, pretty heavy. They're heavy on a, on a human basis. It's really subjective. You know, so you're out there looking at it and you're judging it. And are you the right person to judge that, you know, from, from a brand perspective? And so that's the, that's the legacy approach, you know, that, that anyone can do. It could take you 12 weeks. The, the slightly different approach is, so imagine if we could ingest all that content, we could structure that content and we could understand it. Instead of it taking 12 weeks, you could do it in seven days. And, and that's essentially what we, we've been trying to do is break down the human process to turn it into data so anyone has access to it and has better, you know, really strong starting points. And it doesn't really matter what your stage is, right? So if you're a young startup, you still want to know how am I performing relative to my competitors? If I'm a large enterprise, I want to know how I'm performing, what's changing in the market in real time, and then how do I use it to, to really make actionable recommendations? Ultimately, you don't just want a diagnosis. You, you, want the, you want the actual recommendation and you want to have an answer to, I've got low familiarity. What do I do about that? Increase my spend, change my social. You know, there's a, there's a number of levers that you can pull to, to be really effective. Got it. And Grant, so let's get let's get really tactical here and kind of dive into a couple of these different steps. And so when you think about the maybe some of the earlier stage companies that, that you all have worked with, when they're going and starting to really do that competitor teardown, give us a sense of what that actually looks like. Is, is this a big Excel sheet where they've got all their competitors on on you know the the y-axis and then on the X they've got, you know, okay, here's what the here's where the product shakes out, here's where pricing, here's where they're spending marketing dollars, here's the keywords that, that we see them going after, you know, here's what their website looks like, here's you know the ICP and personas that they're targeting at, at the at a certain end of the spectrum. What what does it look like in practice? You know, if people are like, okay, I'm gonna do this myself, like where do I even start? when I'm trying to action on this and, and turn it into reality. Yeah. I mean, that's you, you gave a, a really good synopsis. Of, <laughs> I mean, it, it, literally, it literally is most young startups who don't have access to capital or don't have the ability to go out and, and buy data, do it manually. It's like, literally, it's like I'm going out doing Google searches for how much revenue is my nearest competitor? How big's the market? How contested is that TAM? You know, what can I see from great VCs like yours or, or you know, others, you know, you're doing that process, then you're, you know, you should be absolutely fascinated with, you know, how is my nearest competitor positioning itself? You know, what's its messaging? How does it, you know, represent itself? Does it, what's its visual language? You know, does it have smiling people? So if you look at someone like UiPath versus Microsoft, you know, Microsoft is here, I'm going to help you and be part of the business solution. 
and it's really a, a productivity-based solution. UiPath, hyper-automation, very friendly, taking a very human approach. And those two things are, are strategic decisions about how you want to be represented as a company. You need to know that because you know creating space in that marketplace by the way that you act will allow you to do things like reap you know additional rewards, greater profits, access to new clients who align with you. So you need to do all that. You need to write it down. It will either be in a Google Doc or you know someone who's the most organized in the company is going to want to collect all this data. You're then going to amass it probably for your pitch deck. I suspect, you know, most of your your work when you're in a young startup is, you know, what do we want to say and how do we how do we convince people? And so this all builds up to understanding where is the white space for your brand. Right. That's the that's the nirvana, right? And let's dig into that a little bit because I'm curious while we're on the topic of competition and doing that competitor break, breakdown. So I totally agree. When you're early days, you don't have the luxury of time and money. And so you need shortcuts. And one shortcut is look at what somebody that's been doing it longer than you has done and tried and kind of where they've landed and, and, and kind of take stock of that. How do you think about brand? And this is kind of an extension of brand audit and then the aftermath of the brand audit, which is setting your brand strategy and, and, and making those strategic decisions. How do you think about it differently in a hyper-competitive space and you've alluded to some examples in, in there, as well as for companies that are trying to really create a category or where maybe there's only kind of one or two other folks that, that are selling a similar solution. Yeah. I mean, in hyper competitive categories, it's about, it's the micro moments where you win, right? So it's, you know, being, being ahead of shifts in media investment, being ahead in messaging, being differentiated around how you look and feel really matters because you know people are looking for differences in really competitive categories and you have to meet table stakes you know so i'll give you an example cloud we work with five cloud companies that category is changing daily and being able to keep pace with spend and message and customer satisfaction really matters and so there's a there's a high frequency tracking that's required to do that if you're creating a category, you know, I hate to say it, people think everything is is new. It's not. You know, when you think about there, there are analogies and, and parallels in, in other industries and verticals that you can bring in. And that's the magic of humans, that we do that so well. We, we basically see a problem. It's a, an opportunity. They drag it into another vertical, be it health or finance or uh, technology. Software does this all the time. And so being able to identify those trends couple them with a unique insight gives you the ability to create something new. And so in our world uh, where we live today as people, that that's happening in data all around us, right? So mm -hmm. you know, companies are creating these opportunities. Being able to see them is really difficult because what's happening with technology is it's closing our view. It actually is manufacturing a very particular, targeted, highly personal view to us. Brand is about widening your scope. And so, you know, being able to see wide across an array gives you the ability to really ingest these new, new ideas across verticals and, and basically be able to bring them into your, 
your own mix, which is which I think is important. Yeah, I like that. So br- kind of broadening your perspective. So if you're not in a competitive space, potentially expanding your definition of what a competitor is, to, maybe it's more of a peer. But for instance, if you're a new vertical SaaS company and you're building some new solution, you're kind of creating the category in your own space. There's not something quite like you. But you can look to other vertical SaaS companies that have done the same thing in other industries and kind of look at what they've done. And sure, maybe you're going to be going after different keywords and you're targeting a different kind of persona, but there are going to be similarities that you can learn from and and, and take from. Yeah, totally. I mean, we're doing that right now, right? So we're looking at strategy automation. You know, we want to be a automated strategy platform that predicts. So, you know, where are our parallels? Is it management consulting and advertising and, and brand? It is. And so as we start to step that up, you know, our thoughts are around, you know, how do we continue to look at those markets and look at what the norms are around content and how we deliver that to, to create difference. And the, the big difference for us is speed, right? Being unencumbered by the business models of the past really allows you to do things very differently. And it changes the expectations that you can create with your customers. And that's brand, right? That's, that's the power of brand. You know, right. Would you want, right. do you want 12 weeks or do you want seven days? So we, we touched on the, the kind of manual lift of going after competitors as one of the first steps of, of the process. You mentioned reviews. That one's pretty self-explanatory. You know, go G2 Crowd, uh, Captera, Gartner. There's a bunch of these sites where you can look up how people are leaving, how they're feeling about these different B2B softwares. I assume that's just kind of looking at strengths and weaknesses, common complaints, and that becomes your white space that, that you can step into. Is that, is that fair? It is. And it's also, it's thematic analysis, right? So this is the the other piece that, you know, we, we often, we, we don't deal with, which is within a vertical, there are expected norms and themes and how you marry to those themes really increases your relevance. So, so imagine Starbucks, I'm Starbucks, love it or hate it. You know, you go and buy a coffee, you're going to order a grande, even when you're not in Starbucks, right? Yeah, it's, they've changed the way that you actually think about coffee and how you order. The alignment to, to that, how close you are in your messaging to that, ultimately determines how, how relevant and how successful that message is. And so, you know, knowing what those themes are and doing that work, and you can do that work yourself, right? So you can go out and you can say, I'm going to look at all my competitors. I'm going to look at all their websites and all of their content and everything that they're writing. And I'm going to do keyword clustering. I'm going to build it up to a theme. And then I'm going to look at marrying their content to that theme. And do they, how close are they? That's something you can do on a whiteboard with a a little effort, but it really is useful in understanding where you should be putting your message. Got it. That's helpful. And then, so for the next piece, the TAM and market sizing, probably don't need to spend too much time here, given a lot of founders and teams have gone through this exercise. If they're already went through fundraising, any particular kind of nuances here as it specifically relates to brand, or is it a relatively straightforward, you can go bottoms up, you can go top down, but you know, kind of your market analysis is, it is, it is what it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, it's a, a TAM's a TAM, but yeah. you know, it's, it's painful when you go through fundraising, you, you have to get that right. And everyone wants to have a conversation with you about it. We believe that, you know, you've ultimately want to only create markets where you're, you're taking market share from people around you. And so that's, that's unique to our approach on brand. You know, we think that, you know, you create the marketplace by, you know, the people that you want to take market share from understanding your total market is, is important, understanding your revenue profile in it and what's, what's predictive of growth, you know, so who's, who's the fastest growing 
uh, company in that category and what can we learn from it? That's, that's going to be fundamental to, to brand, but understanding the economics, your fundamental economics as of a company and your competitors will make your brand stronger. And what do you mean by that? When you say one of the unique things of, the, of how you look at the world is you only create markets where you're taking market share from incumbents. When you say it, you know, it sounds like common sense. Is that not common practice in terms of how people are, are, are viewing this? Well, I think, I think TAM is like the total addressable market, right? And then you've got, you know, a, your service addressable market. I, I don't think most people actually take it one segment lower and they actually look at and say, okay, great. I've got seven competitors. I've got an aspirational competitor and I've got all of these people that I'm creating for my brand and my brand health, people I'm going to take market share from, I'm going to conquest, or I'm going to, I'm going to look to learn from because they're aspirational. That creates a certain market condition for understanding your brand health relative to those people. Cause that's, that's all that matters. Cause the consumers that purchase products buy them from those companies. And so if you're shifting your perception in, in those, those markets and those customers, it makes a fundamental difference. And so I don't, I don't think most you know, brand leaders come at it that way. They come at it from a total market view. Yeah. And it's easy to stay in, in the TAM world, right? Because that's the biggest number. And so especially if, you just, if you're in an early stage, you've just gone through that fundraising process, you're trying to get that number to look as big as possible so that this looks like you know, the best investment opportunity. But an important distinction to your point, if you're actually trying to set strategy and be realistic about where you can win market share and really drive growth, you've got to take it that, that one step further. Totally agree. And I think, I think, you know, most smart investors want realistic plans from you. You know, they've, they've seen TAMs that are astronomical. If you can build up with a realistic approach to your, your product, your revenue, and how your brand's going to support that through every experience touchpoint, and it's defensible, you're just going to, you're going to get funded more quickly. You're going to get um, more customers and you're going to you be able to attract better talent. And that's, that's fundamental to the brand, right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And just, you know, I'd say public service announcement for, for founders listening that are, that are putting together their TAM. Don't just do a top-down analysis. Don't, <laughs> don't say, oh, this is a hundred billion dollar a year market. We're going to take 1%. We're going to be a billion dollar company because that doesn't get you very far with an investor. Do the work, do bottoms up as well. Try to really get more granular as to how you're going to achieve that. It, it goes a long way. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be perfect, right? I think no. that's- Everyone knows it's your best guess, especially if it's early days. Yeah, totally. All right, so let's move on to a couple more steps here that I want to knock off. You mentioned customer surveying, you know, run something with some of the common survey platforms out there. Any tips for actually going about that step, especially if you're early and actually don't have a ton of customers that you can go after to get that data directly from? Yeah, so, you know, there's, you know, LinkedIn is a, an awesome an awesome tool for creating like sort of audiences and understanding, you know, who your buyer is. So start to do some research on who you think your your actual uh, buyer is going to be. Create a persona. Look for those people on 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 LinkedIn, and then really begin the the sort of design thinking of of around you know, what are the key questions I need to ask. You know, you know what what motivates you to to buy from me. You know who who do you know from a competitive set you know, do both aided and unaided, right? So, you know, create a, a question list that names companies or competitors and then do the same thing where you just use the claims that those companies make. And so what that will do is give you a good understanding of, you know, if you jog someone's memory and they, they click on it, you know, that's, that's obviously, that's aided. 
if you're using a claim, you're hoping that there's a relationship between the brand that they know and the and the claim that they make. You know, you know, if I said to you Google and I said do no evil two years ago, you'd be like, okay, well, that's the same company. If I just said do no evil, who would you associate that with? You'd probably say Google, right? So there's that yeah. that 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 brand association that's important. I really think actually doing the necessary work to create panels of people mm-hmm. when, when you're learning and like creating a, a community around your product is really important. Like yeah. actually, actually speaking to people, don't go and build something without, you know, having a problem to solve. Yeah. You know, make, make sure that you've actually had that conversation and you know, what's really important to those, those, those folks and then like survey that. them regularly. Yep. I like that. Yeah. Especially once you kind of get their buy-in they can tell you're taking their feedback seriously. They're more happy to, to continue giving it. Yeah, and, and it just really does accelerate the feedback loop, as, as you mentioned. So this last piece here, Grant, around actually doing something, right? Once you kind of have the data, you've done all this heavy lifting, you're now trying to analyze and figure out the right way to judge it and how you're going to set strategy and kind of what you're going to change as a result of doing this brand audit. You mentioned this is the trickiest part, which makes sense, right? Like actually making sure you're interpreting this the right way. I'm curious to hear your advice for how companies should be going about this when, when they're going through this process. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I use as much data as you can. I mean, that's the, that's the first thing I would say. You can be incredibly biased by your own experience or the people around you in the room who are giving you their experience. So, you know, I I'm really look for an objective outside point of view on the market, and the conditions. And so there are there are levers that you can pull at different life cycles of your business. And you know, for us, a brand is how well you're known, familiarity, share of voice. Think about share of voice. If you don't know what share of voice is, it's how much of the conversation you own relative to your competitors. That's a marketing and advertising lever that you can pull. Most startups can't spend on advertising, but they can spend on organic content. So go and write great content if you're an early stage founder, produce something that someone else will share, it becomes really, really valuable. You know, the second piece is your position. How different can you make your position? If you're, a, if you're you know, early stage and you're thinking about entering a market that's got a dominant player and you're going to disrupt them, then you need to look different. You know, so think about Airbnb coming into the, the hotel segment, right? They're an explorer brand. They're all about, you know, the experience that they were creating and matching people. You need to create space for yourself to do to do that adequately. So, you know, I would I would spend more time on my content strategy, writing, thinking about how I can actually create leadership and how I ultimately can can use that to to be really valuable. The third element of it is is really about consistency. And so, you know, how do I get my message in a way that is both timely and expected by the people that you know ultimately I want to connect with? So produce content, publish it, be known for publishing it when you want to publish it. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, get a calendar together, you know, use editorial calendars to drive that. You're not going to have any sales, you know, it's probably sales data to marry that to right out of the gate, but you're going to have early customers. Get those customers to talk about you, right? You know, really, you know, if you're a young startup, you know, you should have this really high reverence. You know, usually it's ground soul driven. You've got low familiarity because people don't know who you are, but you've got rabid customers. You know, yep. you use that as your competitive advantage and know that big companies in the category are looking exactly at that. They're like, that company over there has got massively loyal customers. What's going on? 
and so we we use that model to to understand where to start so young startups start with content use pr don't spend money on marketing and advertising don't do that until you need to generate demand if you're an established player uh, in the market and you're in b2b it's all about content strategies tied to customer journeys coupled with great experiences and and SaaS products just have to have great experiences otherwise they just lose and then ultimately use your customers as a the third leg in the demand generation you know kind of story let them tell great stories about you put them out in reviews review content really matters you know unbiased really strong review content do that and champion your 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 customers you know, and really put them at the center of your strategy. There's great examples of B2B companies doing that. I don't know, ServiceNow during COVID. What a great strategy they had of actually putting, you know, their key customers talking about how they're solving problems. They just happen to be using ServiceNow technology. And it was a very human reaction to something that, you know, was, you know, we're, we're all struggling with. Yeah. But, you know, businesses have to respond to it. So I think that, I hope that, that answered the question. Yeah, yeah, no, it was great. I really, really like the examples as well. So that was very helpful in terms of just getting a better understanding of kind of what goes into each step and, and, and how folks can actually action on some of this stuff. I'm curious, how have these steps changed or evolved over time? You've alluded to, to some of it, how you know, that we've gone from legacy and now we're getting a little bit more data-driven and sophisticated with AI and machine learning. I, I would love to know more about how this has drastically changed the way that companies are executing brand audits. The market has is, is changed hugely. I mean, so you know, traditionally the, the model for, for measuring brand and brand's efficacy or you know, its impact was pre and post analysis. You do some work. You'd run a campaign or you'd, you'd put something in market, you'd have a baseline beforehand, and then you'd go and look at, did it drive either sales? Did it drive changes in perception? And that's that's a pretty slow process, right? So, you know, you'd, you'd run a, a pre-survey, it takes six to eight weeks, you know, depending on what sort of level of statistics significance you wanted. And then you'd run the activity and you'd isolate it. It's not super helpful in a world where, you know, you're competing against the Facebook algorithm that needs to be tuned and needs to be digital. And so, and your competitors are continually changing. You know, they're, they're using programmatic or platforms to, to run their marketing. And so, you know, we're not, we're not in a situation where we're moving at the pace of people. We're moving at the pace of platforms. And that means we have to change our approach, which means we have to look at behavior that's actually in market, we have to look at the micro changes. We have to be able to observe those, catalog them, look at them over time, model them, and then put them into things that we as people can use. And I, you know, marketers traditionally, they just want answers, right? And you know, what's happened over the last you know, three or four years is we've given them data science, which is you know, lifetime value analysis and you know, all of the, the kind of stuff that you know, you know, data scientists do. They don't want that. They, they, they chose to be marketers because they wanted to create experiences with customers and they wanted to you know, fundamentally move. We just think that if you put platforms in the middle and you allow them to observe behavior for competitors and you lower the cost of entry, because brand tracking has been pretty expensive and you know, in the hands of the few, if you can take it to the many and democratize the data, it just becomes valuable. You know, you, you suddenly know, you know what your competitors are doing and you know what you need to do. And that's good for all of us. You know, we yep. just think greater competition, 
rises all boats for sure. For sure. And you, you mentioned ServiceNow, you've mentioned a couple other examples, but I would love to hear any other B2B SaaS brands that you really admire, right? And companies that are kind of, you consider best in class at, at branding. Yeah. I mean, like you've got to think about, you know, Adobe's, you know, kind of path to where they went from, you know, if, you know, I really think that if you're looking at how do I build a SaaS business, that's going to be truly scaled and differentiated. Adobe is a really good example, complexity, you know, a, a continual kind of view, a single view to all of their applications truly in the cloud and, you know, really drives value. I love Slack. You know, I love it because it it's the other side of that, right? So B2B doesn't have to be 18 month sales cycles and complex. It can be driven by the people inside businesses that power businesses because we market to people and we are people. So why do we have to put on our procurement hats and our, our five-person decision-making? You know, why can't we just have software that everyone else has? You know, It's businesses, organic objects that are driven by people. So I think they're, they're both very good. I think UiPath is doing a fantastic job right now. You know, If you think about their business, hyper sort of automation, it's pretty, it's pretty dry. What they've managed to do is humanize it, put some humor into it and make people feel like your know, robots aren't here to take their jobs away. They're really here to make your life be much more additive. And I, I think, you know, that's important. You know, yeah. that, that, that connective tissue between people and the technologies that we're all building. Yeah. Those all, those all sound like great examples. You know, at, at Bowery, we work with more early stage startups. So I'd also just love to get your take on kind of specifically for the early stage scrappy companies who maybe they recognize the importance of doing a brand audit, but they don't necessarily have the resources to spend a bunch of money or, or time on it. Yeah. I mean, like, so firstly, that's why we exist. You know, I mean, the, the reality is we want to lower the costs. So it doesn't be $250,000. It's, you know, it's SaaS pricing for brand audits to give you the level of competition. We think that that's, that's, that's critical. I do think you have to know your market and you do have to know your competitors and you have to be able to write. You have to write, you know, with, with passion and, and conviction about your industry, your category and your products. You know, I think that's the, that's the starting point because all you're doing is trying to convince your investors, your customers to, to come back on a continual basis. And people want to be around people who've got things to say, be it at a product level or at a, at a corporate level. So, you know, really engage with that process. If you're nervous about writing and, you know, getting your messaging right, go to Grammarly, get Grammarly and put it into your, your, your cycle. Make sure that you're, you know, you've got, you know, that kind of foundation behind you. And then really sit down and plan and, and think about, you know, what's important to my most important customer today? How do I position myself so I have, I'm either creating the category or I'm so different in the market that it just makes a ton of sense. And you can do that by, you know, thinking about, is it speed? Is it price? Is it impact? What are those things that are going to be really important to my customers? And what's the problem? And just talk to the problem constantly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's really powerful. One thing we haven't touched on is you know, how often should companies go through this exercise? I'm sure it often depends on you know, how quickly their market's changing, how quickly their own business is changing. But but if there's any best practices around that, we'd love to hear it. There is. I mean, so you know, large corporations have annual tracking surveys and brand audits. They release them 
biannually, so like every every six months. But you know that's moving to quarterly, and the the, the only thing that's limiting that right now is technology, right? So my recommendation is you absolutely want to do a quarterly business review of your competitors and the market. And you want to be able to talk to your investors about that the first day. You know, you come in and you say, what's changed in the market? How are we responding? And how's our product living in that? Right. So ideally, the only limiting factor for companies is how quickly can you take a recommendation and action it? So if you're a really agile company, you can do it. You know, if you're, if you're fully programmatic and you can action it in your ecosystem, you know, through your ad servers and you know, through, through your, your own capabilities, do that. I, at a minimum, do it on a quarterly basis. Make sure that you've got an annual view and then pulse it um, and make sure that you're keeping yourself honest. You know, use it as an objective measure to say, did we actually do what we said we were going to do and did we succeed? So Grant, last question before we wrap up with tips and tricks. I would love to hear any common pitfalls, mistakes that companies make when they're trying to go about doing their brand audit. Yeah, I think survey design is often a problem. You know, it's usually done by the company to ultimately prove out that they've been doing the right thing. And, you know, it's like going to a doctor and, you know, basically telling me you've got another symptom. You know, you wouldn't do that, right? If you want to, if you want, you want the solution, you, you need to be a bit more objective and, and be prepared for some downside in that conversation. The second part is recruitment. And, you know, the panels that you choose really are important because if you choose the wrong customers that are not in your segment or don't represent, you know, buyers for, for your brand, it's going to skew those results and ultimately it's going to send you in the wrong direction and you don't want to do that. The third part is often, you know, don't just make it a creative review. Creative is an element of that and, and the experience that you create and the product that you're building. But you, you need to take a 360 degree view of the business. And that is, you know, your performance. Are you growing? You know, it's, you know, am I producing the right content? Is that having an impact? And are my customers feeling, you know, positive and negatively about that or positively and negatively? And what are we doing? So I think that that's, that's really important and try and start to amass your own data, you know, compare it to, to last quarter. You know, did we, you know, did sales go up as a consequence of us changing our, our strategy? And has that been a, a net positive? So, you know, be inquisitive. Yeah. I think that, that makes a ton of sense. And, and one of the common themes there is just trying to get a really crystal clear picture of reality and not letting your own biases, not letting your own maybe mm-hmm. internal motivations skew that. You'd really just want to get the lay of the land. What are things really like? But given it's humans involved in this process, it's obviously easy for that to get out of whack. Well, Grant, one thing we always like to wrap up with are you know, any final thoughts, tips, tricks that you want to leave folks with to summarize. I know we've covered a ton of ground today. Yeah, no, it's been it's been great. I, for me, you know, branding is the the combination of the experience you create, the the level of effort you put behind it and the consistency that you you do it. Most importantly, it's about getting content in market, right? There there is no perfect answer. To, to marketing and branding, it's often better just to be different, you know? So if you're struggling with a path, really focus on, on differentiation as your, as your starting point and then tool that. Really make sure that you've got the ability to, to see widely and have the ability to ask questions about your performance relative to the people that you're trying to win in and, you know, make it beautiful, you know, be, be, be creative, 
You know, I really, you know, I think like doing these things like podcasts, these are branding moments, you know, find ways to get your voice out and participate in the communities that are really important, I think. Awesome. Grant, well, well, thank you so much for, for joining us today and coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that's our show. So if you liked this episode and want to hear more, subscribe to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'll see you next week.